Hi, I'm Victoria Starek Somalin, co-founder and director of strategy at the Council on GeoStrategy, the newest foreign affairs think tank based in the heart of London. And this is GeoStrategy 360, our weekly podcast which discusses current geopolitical and environmental security issues with politicians, government and military officials, business people and experts. The renewed war in Ukraine has undeniably reminded Georgia of its own war with Russia back in 2008, when Russia invaded the independent country, waged a five-day war, and successfully established two breakaway regions of South Ossetia and Abkhazia, spanning over 20% of the country's territory. Much has changed since 2008 in Georgia, yet the key security threat remains the same, revisionist Russia and its attempts to undermine the key principles underpinning the free and open international world order. And today, I'm absolutely delighted to have an opportunity to discuss the war in Ukraine and how it has affected Georgia, the recent 30th anniversary of the re-establishment of the bilateral relationship between the United Kingdom and Georgia, and the current priorities of the APPG on Georgia at the UK House of Commons with Jonathan Janogli, who is one of the most knowledgeable policymakers in Westminster on Georgia, and also the chairman of the all-party parliamentary group on Georgia at the House of Commons. Jonathan Janogli has been a Member of Parliament for Huntington since 2001. Mr. Janogli has also been trade and industry spokesman shadowing the Department for Business, Enterprise and Regulatory Reform, shadow Solicitor General for England and Wales, and was a parliamentary undersecretary of state at the Ministry of Justice from 2010 to 2012. Mr. Janogli, welcome to today's episode of Geostrategy 360. Thank you very much for joining Hello, us. Hello, Victoria. Today. Nice to be here. You have recently returned from the trip to Georgia, which you visited together with a group of British members of Parliament to mark the 30th anniversary of our diplomatic relations. Yes. Firstly, please tell us more about the trip. So it's our third attempt to get to Georgia. COVID scuppered the first two goes. Uh, Certainly not my first trip, but uh, the first trip for the people who I took. So they were being introduced to Georgia. Um, And I've never taken a group to Georgia and they haven't been converted to pro-Georgianism and what a lovely country it is and uh, what a tremendous people they are and how hospitable they are um, and how vulnerable they are. And it was interesting in your opening remarks, you you mentioned uh, the 2008 Russian war. Um, And it's very important actually to, to mention that date because when people talk about Uh, President Putin's intransigence, Russian intransigence. They very often head straight to 2014, to Crimea, to Donbass, without looking at the bits in between. Uh, And actually, uh, I think what we're seeing is a remarkable um, uh, consequential series of events with a lot of similarities between them, both in terms of the Russian Um, view as to um, why they should be going into fight um, uh, or interfere, uh, ongoing interference um, before the fighting starts, um, humiliation of the countries concerned. Um, You know, there there are patterns here. Um, And I think it's really important to look at this in context rather than just Ukraine. Um, And if you do that, um, you realize that Georgia is very vulnerable. 20% of Georgia is currently occupied by Russians. Um, They have hundreds of thousands of IDPs. Uh, 
they have ongoing uh, leverage type humiliations put on them by Russia, um, whether it's um, uh, sanctions on their wine or water, or um, over a weekend moving the barbed wire um, on the on the uh, the lines. You're not allowed to call them borders, by the way. They're, they're demarcation lines, in effect. But you know, over the weekend, they'll move the uh, barbed wire a few meters, or they'll arrest uh, a shepherd with his flock just to maintain the tension that the uh, Russians like to keep on the countries surrounding them. I don't actually uh, think they want to pay for countries because if you go into somewhere like Abkhazia, there's nothing there except Russian military camps. Um, the situation is actually becoming desperate. What was the jewel of the Black Sea uh, during Soviet times and Imperial Russian times um, is now uh, tumbleweed, uh, empty, um, with people cut off from the world. Um, and um, it's, it's really very sad. Um, and of course, the Georgians see this. Um, and uh, but it, but you know, it's the same. It's the same kind of thing. The Russians just wanting to have weak, malleable. Uh, countries on their borders who they can bully and who they can uh, keep as a buffer. <clears throat> and of course, if you take a sort of 1970s detente view, um, as some people do, then you can say, well, you know, Russia deserves to have uh, a buffer because it's a great power. But the reality is, is that Russia agreed to the independence of these countries. You know, they agreed to Georgian independence. They agreed through treaty to Ukrainian independence. Um, and as a result of that, they, they have to respect these countries' sovereignty. Um, and so whichever way you look at it, once you accept that reality, then Russia is in the wrong here. Um, so do you think that we should have done more to push back against Russian revisionism back in the day? And maybe in that case, we might not be witnessing the current tragic events unfolding in Ukraine. I have no doubt that that is the case. Um, when Georgia was uh, invaded in 2008, um, they basically thought that America would come to their help. You don't go to war with Russia and you actually think Russia, America's going to come to your help. And, and America didn't. Um, and the, the Georgians, as a result, are cautious. If you look at uh, what's happening now, you know, they, they are cautious to, um, to uh, listen to people who say they should start a war in South Ossetia and Abkhazia to kick the Russians out whilst they're being, looking at Ukraine. It's not realistic. I mean, this is a country um, the size of Wales, a population of, I think, about three and a half million people. Uh, the idea that they're going to um, overrun the Russian army is, is frankly unrealistic. So you have to put this into perspective, a, a, realistic, a realistic perspective. On the other hand, um, if you went back to 2008 and the West had taken a decision to arm Russia, um, Ukraine and Georgia at that time, then I think it's much less likely that Russia would have would have invaded. If we had taken the, the care then that we're taking now, I think a lot less people would have died. I think a lot less territory would have been 
uh, overtaken. And I think Russia would have known uh, that uh, um, they don't just get a, a, a blank check, which is in effect what we gave them when we just let them walk into Georgia, when we let them walk into Ukraine, when we let them walk into the Donbass, when we you know, just basically let them get on with it, did nothing. Um, they thought they could do it again. So, yes, I definitely think that uh, that we should have armed Ukraine at a much earlier stage. And by the way, we still haven't armed, the UK has still not armed Georgia. So uh, the Americans have to some degree. Um, and we shouldn't underestimate the support that we are giving them. And it's actually a very good example because what we have been doing, what the UK has been doing is giving Georgia support in cyber security, cyber warfare. And so has America. And they've also given it to Ukraine. And it's very interesting to note that in both Georgia and Ukraine, Russia has not so far been able to make significant inroads on the cyber war um, because they have been able to counter it. And one wonders, you know, because people were saying that Russia is going to be able to destroy Ukraine online, basically. And that simply has not happened. And one wonders if the West had armed Georgia and Ukraine at an earlier stage, whether the same would have happened in terms of, of the fighting side of things. So I think it was a mistake. And I think when we look at Black Sea, secure, Black sea um, security, Black Sea strategy in the wider term, you know, we, might, we can't just concentrate on Ukraine. Are we going to go through other countries again being hit and at the last minute we think they should be armed? You know, we should learn from Ukraine. We should be arming Georgia now uh, and urgently, in my view. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's not too late, um, but it should be done. You recently went to Georgia, so I wanted to yeah. ask you to share um, your perspectives as to how people um, are perceiving this war in Ukraine in Georgia and also what has been the government's response recently to this war. I have never been to a country... Um, in the last, well, since the Ukraine wars happened in 2014 and seen such support for Ukraine as I have in Georgia. Um, I would say every fifth window in Tbilisi had a, a, a Ukrainian flag in it. They have had huge demonstrations. Um, the, uh, the government has consistently uh, expressed its support for uh, Ukrainian sovereignty um, the Georgian government has been voting consistently um, in the United Nations with uh, uh, Western uh, anti-Russian resolutions. Um, the one area where there is dispute within Georgia, it should be said, is in relation to sanctions. Georgia has not sanctioned Russia. Um, in practice, they are. I mean, if, if, you, if you know that the two largest banks in Georgia are listed on the London Stock Exchange, then you know that in effect, they're doing full financial sanctions on Russia uh, in practice. Um, but the question is, is do they, they don't want to pull the tail of the big bear uh, too hard when they're so close. Um, so, uh, but in practical terms, they're giving, they're giving Ukraine full support and sending them huge amounts of aid. And actually I saw uh, a Ukrainian poll um, from a few days ago, which um, uh, the Ukrainians feel that the Georgians are the fourth country in the world giving them the most help. The UK proudly being above them. 
<laughs> as the US was, and Poland number one. Um, so, Mr. Janogli, you mentioned yes. the UK, and well, I wanted to ask you, how do you compare Georgia's response to this war in comparison to UK's response to its war and support to Ukraine? Well, you know, we are a large NATO um, country. Um, we're not a we're, we're, we're not a superpower, but we are a power, um, and we have an arms. Uh, manufacturing industry that can supply the guns. You know, Georgia does not. Uh, we are a member of NATO. So if we are attack, attacked, we have an alliance support. Georgia does not. You know, it's written into the Georgian constitution that they want to join NATO. They have applied, as well as, of course, having applied for the EU. Um, this actually is a... a um, an issue for Georgia in that um, Ukraine has intimated um, in the peace talks going on in uh, Istanbul that they may consider um, neutrality. In other words, they would drop their application to join, join NATO, I think based on a, on a referendum result. For Georgia, actually, this presents a very significant strategic problem because um, it, it is feasible that Ukraine, as a very large country, could arm itself to the teeth and go into a, what I would call a sort of Swiss-type neutrality, a heavily armed neutrality. That would be very hard for Georgia. Um, on the first day of the Ukraine war, more land was taken in Ukraine than exists in Georgia. <laughs> so just from a, a size point of view, um, uh, their, their security is very closely bound up with their um, aim to join NATO. And so if Ukraine wants to go uh, neutral, then Russia obviously would put its attention onto Georgia if they were still applying for NATO membership. So, that, so which is another reason why I'm saying the West must look at Black Sea securities, Black Sea strategy in, in a strategic manner, not just in relation to one country, but what's best for everyone. Mr. Janotby, so there's of course a fear that if Russia is victorious in Ukraine, um, it would potentially turn its attention to Georgia. Right. So how likely is such a scenario, even in case there's a stalemate um, situation in Ukraine? And do you see a further incursion into Georgia as a real possibility? It must be a possibility. And um, clearly, the Georgians are very concerned about it. And, you know, as I said, um, remembering of the 2008 war when they were left alone. So, um, yeah, I mean, there is great concern. Um, how it pans out, I don't know. There is another side of this coin which says that uh, Russia likes to treat its surrounding countries as sort of neutral areas um, because... Um, a lot of Russians, for instance, go to Georgia at the moment. There's like 30,000 Russians in Georgia. Now, I would suggest that most of them are young, middle-class uh, people who use technology in their work, um, who, who mainly want to leave Russia because either they don't like what Putin's doing or they simply can't do their jobs in Russia, so they're setting up companies in, in Georgia. Um, so it may be that Russia doesn't want to upset the apple cart 
in Georgia more than it has to. But these are these are questions that only Mr. Putin would have answers to, and I can certainly understand the Georgians' fear of uh, potential increased um, disturbance on their delineation lines, mm-hmm. or uh, indeed uh, ultimate invasion. Well, days after the invasion began, and you also touched on this, Georgia submitted a rushed application for membership in the European Union. So it's, of course, a largely symbolic indication of its pro-Western orientation, since full membership is still years away, perhaps. But what is the likelihood of Georgia joining the EU at some point in the future? And what difference would it make? I think very high. I mean, one one of the um, aspects that came out of the group when we went to visit a few weeks ago um, and I was interested to see their reactions as people who hadn't been to Georgia before was how how, how actually Western-minded they are. I mean, when it comes to things like business development, they have very low levels of corruption. If you look at the, uh, the international tables, um, it's a very play, easy place to start up a business. You can literally set up a company in, you know, in half an hour. Um, and they have, um, you know, they're very keen on investment opportunities. And, you know, they want to be open and they're looking and they're looking west, there's no doubt about it. At the same time, they do have a residuary element of their uh, commerce, their trade, which is um, simply Russian. I mean, you know, the Russians like Georgian wine and they like Georgian water and, they, uh, you know, they're, they're, there is business there. But it's decreasing all the time as their trade with the EU is increasing rapidly. I would suggest that that's going to continue. Um, so, yes, they are looking towards the, the EU. Um, they are they're, they're increasingly taking on EU-type um, regulation. They signed an association agreement with the EU, which is sort of pushing them along the tracks towards membership. Uh, and importantly, they also got um, uh, an EU visa. So um, Georgians can now... Uh, go to the EU for three months. So they're increasingly integrated with the EU already. As for full membership, um, I don't know. I mean, but certainly um, they have actually put in their application now. uh, And um, whenever I speak to Europeans uh, or EU members, um, they are keen for Georgia to join. I mean, it's generally seen, they're generally seen when you speak to EU members as, as, as a country that is on track. Um, well, we are, of course, not members of the European Union right. anymore. But how can the UK still support Georgia's effort to become part of the EU? Is there any way how we can also play our part? Well, uh, yes. I mean, um, we we are increasing our trade with Georgia. Um, we are very keen to um, increase trade. And indeed, uh, the Georgians were, it has to be said, the first country out of all countries in the world to sign a free trade agreement with us um, at the time when we had Brexit. So uh, I think relations between the UK and Georgia is, are as good as they ever have been. Um, there's something called the Wardrop Dialogue, which is uh, named after a, a, a very renowned British ambassador um, at the turn of the last century. Um, and um, under that, there are connections between at ministerial level um, and, and now 
um, at, at, well, at diplomatic level, and now also at parliamentary level. So, so the the ties are becoming ever stronger, I would say. And um, you know, there, there's no chance of of Georgia looking away from its its westward march. I mean, it's uh, if you if you look at the polls, it's the membership of the EU. It's very high, like 90 percent. So, uh, you know, that's the way they're looking. Um, Mr. Ginogli, I also would like to quote your remarks in the recent publication dedicated to marking the 30th anniversary of the re-establishment of diplomatic relations between the UK and Georgia. So um, you said there that at 30, Georgia is a young democracy, but one which has been keen to improve its democratic processes and institutions. That's not to say that they are quite there yet, but the same could be said for any country. <laughs> Aided by established democracies, Georgia continues to move in the right direction. So how can the United Kingdom assist Georgia in its path to improve its democratic processes and institutions? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, there are all sorts of things going on. Um, firstly, uh, through the Chevening uh, scheme, we are educating significant numbers of, of their top uh, young people who are coming to get um, uh, educations in the UK. Um, we have uh, a lot going on between the parliaments. I mean, I remember groups from their prime minister's office coming to learn how to run a prime minister's office, um, a, a group of MPs coming to learn how select committees work, and shortly afterwards they had their first select committee inquiry. So, yes, they are a developing democracy. They're, they're, they're building um, their parliamentary structures. Not all from us, by the way. Uh, their justice reforms have probably borrow more from Germany than from us. So they're, they're, they're you know, they're getting help uh, and a lot of help from Poland as well um, in governance, governance terms. So, yeah, they're, they're a growing democracy. And I, actually, um, one interesting aspect is is actually the politics. I mean, uh, if you were ever worried about whether um, George's going to be democratic, just go there and look at their politics. I mean, they have more political parties, more discourse, more argument, more debates than, <laughs> than you would expect in the largest democracy in the world, rather than one of the smaller ones. And they are, they are incredibly uh, keen on, on um, political debate. And um, one of the things in studying Georgia I found is that it's quite hard to get your head around the latest developments of all the parties and where they are. Mm. Um, and, um, uh, you know, ev even when it comes to discussing their attitude as a country towards Ukraine, it's very polarised. Mm. Um, and, and sometimes you do feel that it would be help. <laughs> they could help themselves a bit more by coming, becoming a bit more co consensual. <laughs> But perhaps that's part of the um, of, of, of the fun of being a Georgian. Uh, that's what they seem to tell me. <laughs> so, Mr. Ginobili, you are, of course, um, a chairman of the APPG on Georgia. And I also wanted to ask you, what are the top three priorities for this all-party parliamentary group this year? Well, I mean, they're, they're, it is the war that's dominating at the moment. So um, the group is concerned that Georgia's voice is not lost in, in the wider um, geopolitical aspects of what's going on. Um, um, you know, we're keen that, they, uh, that the government um, looks at them in terms of uh, arming them. 
um, and giving uh, military support um, uh, in, in a more, should I say, um, equipment-minded way, because we are giving them some support. Um, and, and also, um, you know, as with other countries coming out of COVID, getting trade back on track and, and, and you know, getting business going. Mr. Ginogli, thank you so much for this fascinating conversation today and for sharing your insight. My pleasure. And this is Geostrategy 360, our weekly podcast which discusses geopolitical and environmental security issues with policymakers, um, diplomats, experts and business people. You can listen to Geostrategy 360 on all major podcast platforms and you can also find most recent episodes on our website www.geostrategy.org.uk slash podcasts.